Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hello, everyone. I hope you are doing great today. Now, there's not going to be too much in the way of introduction today because today's interview went a little bit longer, but ultimately that's going to be a good thing for you because there is a lot of great stuff that we talk about. And let me go ahead and say, if you do like what you hear from today's guest, go ahead and check his own podcast out at Mobile Home Parks in Real Life. And you may be thinking, what do mobile homes have to do with leadership? But that is going to be answered in our interview today. Our guest today started his entrepreneurial journey with no money, no experience, and no network. And after studying psychology and statistics at Wake Forest University and receiving his MBA, he also had plenty of student loan debt. But he refused to quit. He sacrificed, took bold action, and found creative ways to make money while he started and scaled his business. Now he is a self-made real estate entrepreneur who owns and operates 10 mobile home parks spanning over 1,200 units, and he's on a mission to help others. Here is Ryan Neris. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Josh, I'm pumped to be here, man. We're going to have an awesome talk. Well, to get the interview started, I'm going to ask you a few questions that will help us to get to know you as a leader and give us some leadership inspiration right off the bat. So you ready for this? Yeah. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Man, there's there's a ton of different directions I could go with this, but I got to say bad bosses. So anyone who's listening in that has a bad boss or has had a bad boss, let me tell you that knowing what not to do is is almost the best thing ever for you because so I've got five people under me now for my company and I I have to say knowing <laughs> how... I hated the certain behaviors has has made it so much easier to manage. But not only that, uh, reading books and and seeing how I would have managed in those bad situations make managing so much better. So I'll give you a great for example. One big key piece of human psychology is having a, a common goal. And I can't remember who said this, but it was brilliant. They're like, there's basically three types of employees. People who are just in it for a paycheck, people who are looking to climb the corporate ladder, and people who have a common goal. And basically, what it comes down to is people who are looking at for a paycheck will clock out right at 5 p.m. and will not put in, they will not raise a finger for anything or go above and beyond at all because all they're looking for is that paycheck. Then you have the career person who will stay after five, but the truth is eventually they'll feel stuck in their job and, and be miserable and kind of talk themselves into staying on, which, you know, I, I think a lot of you listening in, if, if you're motivated enough to listen to someone uh, like Josh, you're, you, there's a good chance you fall in that category. Cause I certainly did overachievers, smart, hardworking people fall into this category all the time where you end up 
working, like sacrificing big time for, for someone else to get rich. And then the last is, is finding meaning or purpose and finding a higher goal within what you're doing. And that transcends everything. So every time I talk to one of my employees, I always reiterate, look, what we are doing here, it's not just rent collecting. It's not just building uh, decking and skirting for a new mobile home we just moved in. We are building a community that is safe and clean. And along with the charity work we do from my partial college scholarship for anyone who's wants to go to college that lives on, on my one of my properties to partnering with Paylease to every time someone opt, well, obviously if they opt in, but it will build that you will, you can build your credit while you live with me and you pay your lot rent or rent rent. So in other words, I'm going to send your kids to college and I'm going to help you build your credit. Like those things to, to all my managers and contractors that work with me, those things make hard days and mean tenants and, awful moments that are inevitable that inevitably come up it makes it that much more worth it so is it one experience i can point to no but for those listening in you need to read up on on leadership and you you need to know that as much as it stinks to have a bad boss someone said this too which i thought was great you people don't quit jobs they quit bad management teams so if you're like me and you had some awful bosses, yeah, it stinks, but remember it's temporary and you will be so thankful you had those bad experiences with those bad bosses because it's going to make you a, a good boss one day. Question number one, and we already have tons of great insight from you, Ryan. Next question is this. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? High empathy, decisive, and, and good listener, I think were the three. High empathy because you need to understand you're dealing with a human being, not a robot. And even the most logical, boring human beings are human beings. You know, my business partner, we joke, I call him flatline. Like when you talk to him, he talks like this and he's really monotone. And he likes to joke around. I like to joke around with him about that. But he's a very, he's, he's pretty resilient emotionally speaking, but even he has his moments. And he'll, he's, he'll admit to you. He's like, sometimes I'll get overly, overly emotional. Everybody does it. If you do not have empathy, if you yell and scream, like Stephen Covey says in his book, um, if you borrow strength, it builds weakness. In other words, if you flex your muscle, I'm the boss, I pay you, I could fire you. If you have to borrow that to get someone to do something for you, you're really, you're really creating, you're, you're really, that's a very destructive thing to do. And anyone who's had a bad boss can think of 8,000 different times where that exact thing happened, right? So empathy first and foremost, although it sounds counterintuitive that a tough, strong leader isn't empathetic, is just wrong. Some of the most charismatic, best leaders of all time are people who can just cut right to the base of, of the root cause of whatever symptom negative emotion is is coming out. And, and that, by far and away, is is probably one of the number one things and that also ties into the good listener portion a, a good a good leader does not have all the answers and never pretends to have all the answers a good leader is someone who can enable those around him or her to get them the correct answers and is okay giving other people credit for having the right answers in fact going out of their way to make sure people feel appreciated so that, that ties into why, why do you have to be a good listener if you're supposed to be this big, powerful leader? Well, the truth is you're not ever going to have all the answers. Your people should. 
right? A, a good leader is like Urban Meyer of uh, the formerly of Ohio State Buckeyes. Whether you, you hate the Buckeyes or love them, you have to respect the fact that he left and Ryan Day stepped up and they have not skipped a beat. And that's because Urban Meyer was such a darn good leader. He doesn't need to be there anymore. So that all comes from making sure those around you, you, you have empathy for them and, and you are a good listener and ideas can naturally float. You know, it's like meritocracy, right? The, the good ideas float to the top. And then the other thing I said was decisiveness. So the one thing I learned when I was getting my MBA, because I was elected to student government, and one thing I learned about that is even with really smart people, sent to Wake Forest University, and gosh, everyone was way smarter than I was, and everyone had all these great ideas. But the thing is, when you get in a group of people, even if there is, you know, here's the, because I was a representative, so we had a president and a vice president. And every now and again, I feel like I would have to step up and be like, okay, we're doing this, right? So like a bunch of ideas would get thrown at the wall, and then there'd be debates, which is good and important. But at some point in time, someone needs to go, okay, there's not a consensus in the room. This is what we're doing. So yes, you need to create an environment that you yeah, can be a good listener and be empathetic. But at a certain point in time, a, a true good leader is someone who will have all of the information and make a decision. Like Colin Powell says, he makes a decision when he has about what he assumes to be about 60% of all the available information. So you're never going to have perfect information. But if you can make a decision, a decisive decision at about 60%, you're, you're not going to have analysis paralysis and you will be able to be decisive and push the team forward. So it's really, it's all, it's all of the above. Question number three is this, what is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? Is my ego getting in the way? You always need to be checking yourself. You always, so Archimedes Group, my company, our corporate, we, we kind of take on the Bridgewater Capital's mantra of just brutal transparency. So if you don't like me, I want you to tell me you don't like me. I'm a big boy. I can take it. And the big reason why I'm a big boy and I can take it is because I've built up a real self-esteem. And honestly, if you hate my guts, I, I, I want to know that because then I can't go and fix things. Right. So if you are going to hide your ego, a great book, by the way, Extreme Ownership preaches exactly this. As a leader, if you always take responsibility, you remove the cloudiness of, of ego. And so a question you should always be asking yourself is, is my ego getting in the way here? Is my desire to not be wrong or my desire to be right or my desire to do X, Y, and Z causing destructive outcomes? So I, I, you know, what, what I do being brutally honest with my employees and having them do that with me as well is, is one way to go about doing it. It, it also it makes it, a lot of people would not like to work for me for that for a lot of reasons. So I kind of weed out people who I don't think would be good fits for me and, and vice versa. And that's fine. Um, that being said, regardless of if you're building a company from scratch, like, like I did and I am, or if you've been thrust into, you know, you buy a company or you get promoted and there's a bunch of in-place people, you need to, to remember that the world does not revolve around you and there's always going to be a bigger fish and you always need to keep your ego in check because it's not about, you know, if I'll put it to you this way and then we'll go on to the next question. What would you rather have the right answer or the wrong answer, but your ego stays in, in check and you get to save face? 
I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, but I would 8,000 billion times rather be wrong, but have the right answer and have some egg on my face than be, be able to look like some really cool guy who's smart guy or whatever. But then my company goes bust because I ultimately was functioning on faulty information. So definitely check your ego. Now, Ryan, you just mentioned the book, Extreme Ownership. And the next question is, what book would you recommend to leaders? And would it be that, or do you have something else? There's a bunch of great books. Uh, Maxwell has got some outstanding books, but I have to say, because the one thing I see other leaders do wrong, not that I'm a great leader myself, but the, you know, I'd like to think I am, but you know, again, got to check your own ego at the door. Um, the thing about extreme ownership that just makes it more applicable, in my opinion, to the vast majority of leaders who are doing it wrong, again, in my opinion, is that it focuses on you taking 100% of the responsibility, whether it's your fault or not. And again, the brilliant thing about that is it helps lift the veil of, of obstruction that egos create. So I highly recommend that book, even though there's a ton of other books I could, I could recommend. And the author of that is Jocko Willink. And I think there is a co-author, but I'm not sure. That's going to be in the show notes. So anyone who is interested can check that out below. Ryan, our fifth question is this. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I think if you're only going to take one thing away from me today, it's, it's check your ego at the door. So if you were to do anything, and this is this simple, just for one day or you know, maybe at the end of the day and go, what were five times where my ego might have gotten in the way and either did or didn't? Just at the end of the day. And then try to change the way you think about it. So Sean Atcher, author of The Happiness, what is it? The Happiness Advantage, he describes this thing called the Tetris effect. Really cool thing. Basically, what he said was, what they what they found in, in in psychology is that if you play way too much Tetris, you everywhere you look you see Tetris. So you look at a brick wall, and all of a sudden, all the little Tetris shapes start showing up. And the point there was, is if you do something enough times, you'll see it everywhere. And because you can only your 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 brain can only process so many things at once, right? So like think about how many things you could be processing right now between sight, smell, touch, everything you're only selectively paying attention to certain things and the vast majority of things wind up in your subliminal because you don't, you don't have the capacity to process it at all. So if you only focus on certain things, you're going to start to see certain patterns. So the easiest thing for you to do if you're listening in right now is focus on where could my ego be getting in, where, where is it getting in the way or more importantly, because it's really hard to, to, see that just at the drop of a hat, where could it be going wrong? And start, tr start getting that Tetris effect to have your ego start to get in check if it's not already. And we have our final arbitrary but insightful question here. And that is, as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? My favorite thing is, is probably, so Warren Buffett and Steve Jobs harped on this a lot. And, and obviously Warren still does is if you're if you consider life like Texas Hold'em poker you're going to fold almost 90 95% of the time if not way more than that you're going to pass up on things way more often than you are going to you are going to to do them so I'll give you a good for example I think I've made 
it's like 36 letters of intent so far this year in 2019 on properties that I had interest in buying. I've only bought two and I'm under contract on three right now. We'll see if any of them end up closing. But the point I'm trying to make is of those 36 I've actually made offers on, I might buy five this year. And of those 36 I've made offers on, there are probably well over 100 others that I looked at. Well, well over 100 that I've looked at. And the point I'm ultimately trying to make here is that you need to learn how to say no. You now at the same time, you don't need analysis paralysis and you don't need to pass up on a good thing. But I'll put it to you this way. One thing Coca-Cola as a company has done really well at is they've stayed true to beverages. One thing that Pepsi kind of struggled with is that they bought Frito-Lay and there's a bunch of things wrong with that acquisition. Frito-Lay is a great company, but there's a cultural class and a bunch of other things going wrong that there's, there's not the appropriate synergies that they wanted. And the point there is, well, you might find a super lucrative opportunity that just isn't the right fit for you. You need to have the courage to say no. At the same time, you also need to have a good core business that you can expand upon. So if you're listening in and you haven't quite started yet, the better question is probably why? Why, why this opportunity? Why me? Who am I? What, what do I like? What do I not like? What is my core, like Jim Collins, good to great? What is my hedgehog concept? And once I have a really, really strong hedgehog concept, then the more, in question, the more important question is why not? Because at that point in time, you need to be super selective about what opportunities you're going to take and not take. Well, Ryan, we've just spent about 15 minutes on these intro questions, which is longer than we've ever spent before, but you've done a great job of <laughs> kind of weaving in some really good content into your answers. However, Thanks. you are a real estate entrepreneur, and I want to get to asking you some questions about that, as well as some of the leadership elements that are included in that. First of all, which came first, your interest in entrepreneurship or your interest in real estate? Entrepreneurship. And as far as real estate goes, uh, how did you decide to go that route? Was it just something that opened up at the right time and that seemed to be a good answer to your, you had a good why answer to that question? Short answer, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Long answer is I spent my entire life up to that moment trying to ask the question, who am I and what do I want to be when I grow up? And so like I just answered earlier, why versus why not? I had a really strong, and I, I still do have a very strong sense of who I am. A good self-esteem built on reality, as close to reality as I can get. So that when I was introduced to real estate, it just made sense. So a good example that I like to give is my wife. When I met my wife, we were just boyfriend and girlfriend within 30 days, engaged within 18 months, married within three years. It, it happened fast with my current wife. We've been together for almost 10 years now. It happened fast with her because we knew and the stars aligned. It wasn't like this Hollywood thing. It was, oh my gosh, we are an amazing fit for each other for so many, so many reasons. But the only reason why we were able to do that is because we weren't pretending to be other people. So the one thing that is true for business, that's true for dating, is that a lot of times because you don't have a strong sense of who you are and a strong ego that's built on reality, you'll tell yourself stories to make up for, for things like literally delusions. Like everybody is delusional to a certain degree, myself included. But if you can eradicate as many of those delusions as you can, 
then you have a chance to build a, a good ego. So for example, if you, you are self-conscious because you're not a super wealthy guy, so you try to trick yourself and the world around you by driving a Mercedes, whether you can afford it or not, and spend all this money on things and, and your bank account is negative or even just zero, you're deluding yourself. You're trying, to, you're trying to signal to the world that you are someone that you're not. And the thing that is difficult in dating is that when you go on a date with that person, they're projecting themselves as something that they're not. And so it takes a while to figure out who's really underneath there. And the thing about my wife, and she'll tell you this up front, is that on our first date, we went to this place called Bricks, which is a pizza place. I bought her one drink, and then we took a walk, and that was it. And I had a, an old shirt on that had a hole in it. And she looked at me, and she's like, what is this? <laughs> Who is this guy? He spent like $3 on a drink for me, and that's our first date. And she said, it's, you know, it's one of two things. Either this guy's a knucklehead. Or this is it, and it turned out to be it. And she, if you were to ask her, obviously she'd make fun of me for it. But she'd, she'd then go, you know what? He was really genuine, and he knew exactly who he was. And that's what I liked about him. And I would say the exact same thing about my wife. She knows exactly who she is, and she doesn't try to be something she's not. And because of that, we quickly realized we were great fits for each other, and it's the same thing in business. If you can know exactly who you are, exactly what you want, when the right opportunity hits, it'll be a no-brainer. So for me, the, the chain of events was spend 20 plus years of my life asking myself, who am I? What do I like? What do I dislike? What am I going to like up front and then eventually hate? And once I was able to confidently answer that, all it, all it came down to was, let's look at a bunch of different businesses. And I looked at over 100 businesses and it wasn't until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and I met, re didn't meet, but got back in touch with my business partner who pitched me the idea of mobile home parks where I went, just like with my wife, I went, this is it. This is it. The stars aligned. So my wife hates it when I compare her to mobile home parks, but it, whether, it, 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 whether it was mobile home parks or something else, the, the point is, is it's the exact same thing. If you know who you are, you can then start saying why not, which is really the more important question to be ultimately asking. So now that you've gotten into real estate investing, it may not have been originally your plan. It may not have been on your radar screen, but what have your goals become as you've gotten deeper into real estate investing and have begun to acquire some different mobile home parks? How has your thinking changed and really what are you wanting to do with the work that you're doing today? Yeah. So like we mentioned before we were recording, look, I, I've done well financially and the thing of that is, is that there's a diminishing return in money that you make. And I got to tell you, if you were to ask me my top 10 moments this year, my, my son being born was by far and away number one, but my next probably two through five are all charity related. Like if you were to say, where were your top business moments this year? Almost exclusively char charity related. So I'll give you a good quick example this woman, Miss Joyce, she lives in one of our communities and three, four years ago, she got bed bugs well before we bought the property. She got bed bugs and the, the owners, the former owners that sold it to us, they treated the bed bugs, but that was all they did. And if you know anything about bed bugs, they destroy furniture. You pretty much have to throw stuff out. So Miss Joyce, she's older. She had to, she, her mattress, her whole bed set was ruined and she basically went out and bought a $50 blow up mattress and that was a temporary, that was a band aid. 
And so eventually what she had to do because she's on fixed income and she's older is she went to a rent center and basically bought a whole bed set and they just raked her over the coals. I mean, the mm-hmm. amount she ended up paying for that was just sad. And she was paying like, she was paying $61 a month on something she had paid well over a thousand dollars into that was just not worth it. And the, the end was like no time in sight. And it was just, when I heard about this, I was really, really just sad to hear all of this. Not that the former ownership did anything wrong. They didn't know. I mean, I didn't know about this, about Miss Joyce until about a year of knowing her and owning this property. And she told me the story when I was on site one day. I showed up and I surprised her. And I said, you know what I'm going to do right now, Miss Joyce? I'm going to pay off this balance for you. So Ian and I, we used our own money for this. We called up that rent-a-center place. We paid it off. And it was only like 353 bucks. So it wasn't this huge commitment. Miss Joyce, I, I, there, there's not, not a time goes by when I see her where she does not bring that up. She wrote me a card that's literally five feet from me on my left on my bed right now. That was by far and away the most meaningful thing I did all year. And even more so for her. And I've done earlier this year, I think it was January, I wrote our first acceptance letter for our partial scholarship. And I was, uh, was almost in tears writing that acceptance letter for our, our partial scholarship for this girl to go get her engineering degree who lives in one of our communities. That by far and away is, makes all the bad days worth it. So I could answer your question by saying, well, I would like to get more systems in place that requires less of my time on things like accounting and getting titles for mobile homes and blah, dee da, and maybe hiring another employee so we can grow a little more and this and the other thing. Yeah, all of that. Don't get me wrong. I would love to, to have my company work, you know, be able to take five years off and know my company works without me, just, you know, me going and checking it up, up on it. You know, I, I would love to do all that. I'd love to make all money, uh, a bunch more money. I'd love, you know, fancy cars and all that stuff. Who doesn't, right? But here's the thing. You know what's truly going to make me happy at the end of the day is helping others. And not just people who live in my communities, but anyone listening in, like, I want to help you. I, like, and I don't need a thing in return. I absolutely love helping people. So my goal, yes, to grow my company, yes, to make it more efficient, this, that, and the other thing. But I, I get such a thrill for helping people out that that is really my goal is to scale up and to help people in scale. So one of the things that you mentioned at the very beginning of the interview was that you've learned a lot from bad bosses. And one of the things about having entrepreneurs on the show is that it does help us to see the the value of taking risks, but sometimes entrepreneurs don't have a lot of employees working under them. For you, however, that's not the case because you do have employees. You've mentioned that earlier. So what were some of the things that you had to learn to transition from being a startup entrepreneur to being an employer? A lot. So I think there's a difference between having no one beneath you, no one reporting to you and having one person reporting to you and having five report to you and having 25 and having 50 and having 150 and so on up. And I think that the skill set is going to change every time. So I want to be really careful with my answer here because I've not had more than it fluctuates, but about five people under me reporting to me. So I have not done this in scale. And, and when I worked in corporate America, I never had anyone reporting to me. So I don't know. I And I want to be very adamant that I don't know. But what I have seen is that 
it's really easy to think you're a good boss and a good leader. It's, and I saw this all over the place in corporate America. Some of the worst bosses I've ever had would just say stuff every now and again that would just make you laugh because you're like, you think the one guy being like, oh, I found this book called Emotional Intelligence and I think you should read it. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, you have negative emotional <laughs> intelligence and you, like, at least you read the book, but it gets funny. Like, I like this one guy being like, I think I'm a great leader. And it's like, dude, everybody hates you. <laughs> and so it's like, I, I've dealt with enough of those people to know that, again, I, I need to make sure I'm checking my own ego at the door. But I think you need to be able, as a leader, be able to quantify things. But if you can't, because if you can't quantify things, you can't measure them. If you can't measure them, you truly don't know. You're guessing and you're telling yourself stories. And when you tell yourself stories, you're creating delusions. So the one thing about that's nice about my industry is collections can be quantified quite easily. Things like how is the appearance of the community? Are there illegal dogs? Are there broken down cars everywhere? Is skirting out of control in these homes? You can quantify these things. And so the good news is with time, I've been able to measure how collections have, have gone across all my properties and I can actually see it improve with time and knock on wood. I haven't had any employee turnover yet. It's coming. It will happen. But the the folks we've had with us have been with us for years now and they've gotten better with time. So at least from that standpoint, I, am I a great leader? I have no idea. And I would guess no. I, I don't think I'm a great leader because I haven't been doing it very long and I have a very tiny sample size. But what I will say is I I force myself to try to measure it and by measuring it, you can manage it. So you can, you can improve upon it and you can find areas where you're doing well and where you're doing poorly. So one area that I do very poorly at is I still, I still really struggle with my employees and technology. So a lot of them are older, much older than I am. And that's just one of those things where with one of my employees, I sat down and spent hours with her putting together an entire manual with pictures saying, click here, click here, click here. And she still calls me with the same question. So there's a lot, you know, but again, it's, there's a lot, the only way I know I'm not doing well there is because I can quantify this, right? How many times should you call me with questions? Mm. How many times she calls me and say, Hey, I messed this up. Right. So I would, I would answer that by saying, if you're starting your own company and, and you're about to have people under you and you've never had people under you before is make sure you find ways that you can quantify things. Because if you have a goal, like one of my employees right now, she's got three of our properties under her. And she called me yesterday, so proud that she got collections down to within about $500 across 142 pads in the middle of the month. She was just ecstatic. Right. And so basically what we did was we created a little dashboard that would in live, live time tell her how many people were outstanding. So she only had to file three evictions this month, which is great for affordable housing. So we're collected at over 90% now in the middle of the month. So again, it's because I can, I can quantify that. I can hold her accountable and she can hold me accountable and vice versa. So I've got to say, if you're starting out, definitely try to find ways to quantify things. Ryan, you have given us a lot of great insight from your work as an entrepreneur and a leader. I'm wondering, are there any things that you would like to leave the listeners with, either that you've already talked about and would like to just reemphasize, or that maybe we haven't had the chance to address yet? 
Yeah, all of the above. So reemphasize checking your ego at the door because it will do, and, and also that you tell yourself stories and everyone's delusional. Let's not pretend like you understand reality better than others. Everyone's delusional. You experience dramatically less than 1% of the world and you use that very sliver of knowledge to explain the entire world. It's impossible. You will be delusional. Check your ego at the door and make sure you're not telling yourself ridiculous stories. But something that I really, really, really want to reemphasize is knowing yourself. You do not know yourself. I do not know myself. I spend, not a day goes by I don't ask myself, what don't I know about myself? You really don't truly know who you are. And the better you get at knowing who you are and, and, and what you're, and more importantly, what you're not, the better your decision making will be. Because I cannot tell you how many people I've met in my life that have picked either a career or a business to start or a spouse or something that they they drank the Kool-Aid of a hype story and listened to all of the people around them being like, oh, you should definitely do this. Like, definitely, definitely do this. It's really lucrative. She's really beautiful. She's really this or he's really that or you whatever insert random hype story that that you believe for whatever reason and then ultimately end up have that be completely unfulfilling and then worst it's a sunk cost and now you have a, a mortgage and car payments and kids and now you're stuck i will say you absolutely doesn't matter if you're 60 or 20 or 15 listening to this however old you are you don't know yourself and you need to you need to admit that to yourself that you don't know your, don't know yourself even if you think you know yourself like I think I know myself pretty well I don't okay the better you know yourself the easier the decisions will be made the easier it will be to say why not and then you can selectively choose the things that are truly going to make you happy like I said I could go on and on about the good deals that I've I've made this year and and refinances and selling things and getting offers from private equity shops and, and all these crazy things, but the, none of those make me happy the way helping others does. And, and none of it makes me happy like waking up in the morning when I want to wake up and going over and having my son smile at me first thing in the morning and, and start cooing. It's the most amazing feeling to know I don't have to get up at 4 a.m. to shower, jump in the car before my son's even awake. It, I can wake up at 7, 8, sometimes 9 a.m. I'm staying up late to watch the Carolina Panthers. You know, I to 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 be able to have that autonomy is so amazing, and I did that because I know who I am. And I asked myself some really tough questions, really tough questions, and I forced myself to check my ego at the door and try to bust delusions that I was telling myself about who I was, and and to try to to, to patch together an ego built on basically delusions. You've got to find a way to, to bust that up because other, as a leader, other people are going to look up to you. And if you're not even honest with yourself, how can you look them in the face and be honest with them? You can't. The best leaders are people who can check their ego at the door. And the best business people always find a way to get the right answer, even if they have to sacrifice their own ego in the process. So I'll reemphasize all of that. It's incredibly vital. Well, Ryan, if people have connected with what you've shared today, where can people go to learn more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, I'll, I'll reiterate this too. I, I expect nothing in return and just want to help you. I don't care if you're unemployed. I don't care if you're the CEO of a major company. I am happy to help you and do not expect a thing in return. I'm really, like Tupac says, I ain't hard to find. 
Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Naris, N-A-R-U-S. That's N like Nancy. To my knowledge, I'm the only Ryan Naris in the world. So if you Google me, my LinkedIn should be the first thing to show up. Add me. I don't care who you are. I would love to meet you. Uh, my website is archimedesgrp.com. My podcast is Mobile Home Parks in Real Life, M-H-P-I-R-L. I have tons of free content. I expect absolutely nothing in return. You can set up a time to get on the phone with me. I would love to talk to you no matter where you are in the world and anything I can do to help you. Like I said, I expect nothing in return. So guys, if I can help you go out there and start your own business or, or find what makes you truly happy in this world, and then you go out and help others do the same or make the world a better place, that is how I think I can really achieve my true goal, which is helping people in scale. So if I can inspire you to go out there and help others, that's an exponentially better than me going out and helping one person at a time. So connect with me. Let's make this world a better place together. Don't think you owe me a penny. You don't. If you're inspired by my words, come find me and let me help you so you can go and help others too. Ryan, I really appreciate that. Thanks for the offer and for sharing your heart and your experience with us today. It's been a pleasure. Josh, it's been fun, man. Now, once again, if you liked what you heard from Ryan today, be sure to check his podcast out at Mobile Home Parks in Real Life and also reach out to him on LinkedIn. He is someone that wants to help. Now, let's go ahead and go to the key takeaways for the day. The first one was something that Ryan brought up multiple times, and it's the idea of checking your ego at the door. And connected to that, he said, don't shy away from asking the tough questions. It can be really easy for us as leaders to fool ourselves or just to not address difficult things. A couple questions Ryan recommended asking were, where is my ego getting in the way and where could it be getting in the way? Another idea that he brought up multiple times is the idea of building up your self-esteem or your self-concept so that you can get past any delusions you have about yourself. Because if we're not comfortable enough with who we are, we may be a lot more likely to tell ourselves lies about ourselves and about the world around us. But don't have such a fragile self-concept that you're not willing to realize that you don't know everything. And the final concept that I thought was really helpful is the idea of using whatever you're doing as a way to help others rather than to make a paycheck or to build your own business. Granted, a paycheck and a growing business are great things, but the paycheck and the business will eventually come. First, though, you need to excel at helping other people. Now, come back on Monday because we're going to have someone else who does a great job of doing that very thing, of helping other people. She's one of the leaders of a new project that is focused on helping entrepreneurs grow their businesses. You're not going to want to miss it, so be sure to come back on Monday to hear that interview. Until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. 
Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.